Welcome to Large Group. My name is Jonathan. I'm the uh, campus pastor here with RUF. Uh, RUF is a Christian ministry on campus that we're uh, we're here to, first of all, just to be a resource to you to, um, first, first of all, just not be so lonely. <laughs> uh, college can be really lonely, so we want to try and fight against that and um, do fun things like pizzas and puzzles. Only pizzas and puzzles. <laughs> That's all. Um, but also do conferences and ask questions about faith along the way. So uh, one of the main ways that we do that is uh, tonight, our large group. And so what we do is we sing. Uh, hopefully we are a bit changed by how we sing, what we sing. But also we open the Bible and we ask questions about the Bible. Does it have anything to say to being a college student in 2019 in New Mexico? Um, and so that's one of the things that we are, have been doing pretty consistently uh, for actually 20 years here, over 20 years here on campus, and so we're going to keep doing that tonight. Uh, Before we dig in on that, I want to make three quick plugs. First, um, I think most of y'all know Deborah and Madeline, Madeline in the eggplant dress (laughs) as eggplant, and Deborah uh, in the maroon pants and gray. (laughs) They are on staff here with RUF. They want to get to know y'all, all all y'all, so... um, if you're interested in getting to know them, they love to hang out. Madeline goes to spin class. Deborah plays Pokemon Go. So I endorse both of those activities. So go hang out with them if you're free. And if they text you, say yes. So um, second thing I want to plug is the winter conference. Y'all, it's going to be a really great time. At least sign up like you're interested. Like just pander me in that way, if nothing else. Um, don't let money be why you don't go. We have scholarships available to help you pay for it. So um, at least express interest. Let me tell you why you need to go to summer uh, winter conference. A, it's a great time um, with friends. And I know this, well, for those of you who've done college before, you know that like winter break is great for 10 days. And then you're like, my family is going to kill me or I'm going to kill it. And you're like, get me away from my family. (laughs) So, hey, here we are. (laughs) Get away from your family. So um, (laughs) so January 1st through 5th, uh, we're going to go to California. Second reason why it's a great chance is uh, you get to hang out with your friends and ask, do what we do in RUF, but with like intensity. Ask questions about faith. Ask questions about spirituality. So really encourage you to do that. Uh, And that's all I'll say for that. So. Um, We've been looking the last semester at the book of John. It's a gospel written by um, a guy who was one of Jesus' followers. He walked with Jesus for three years, saw everything that Jesus did, and uh, as now he writes this, what we call it a gospel, but it's more like a thematic biography of who Jesus is and what he saw him do and why it matters. And uh, so we've been looking at uh, what John has to say about Jesus. Um, and how Jesus presents himself, how Jesus and why Jesus' life matters, and um, how it can shape and direct our lives today. So we're going to continue looking at that tonight. Uh, And tonight we're going to look at an instance where Jesus pretty clearly states who he is, or uh, what he is more specifically. Uh, And we're going to look at two metaphors that Jesus names himself. He says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and what those mean. And if there's one thing that I think those mean that's important for you and me to hear is this, that when Jesus says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, he means that he protects us. 
that Jesus protects us as the door and as the good shepherd, uh, and that that matters for you and for me in life and in college. So if you're interested, um, pay attention, and we'll see what this, what this has to say. So if you have a bulletin or a Bible, <clears throat> look with me at the, uh, at the text. We're going to look at John chapter 10, the uh, 18 verses. So this is Jesus, and he's talking to uh, his disciples, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, enters, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone listens to me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Would you pray with me quickly? Father in heaven, uh, as we are here tonight in the midst of feeling pressure, uh, feeling that we could use this time maybe more effectively studying or resting, uh, we pray that, that you would make this worth it these next minutes as we look at what your word has to say uh, and that it would uh, calm our hearts as we see here that you are a shepherd who protects us. Um, may that impact and shape each one of us, especially tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we see here, like I said, Jesus is making two statements about himself. He says, I am the door, I am the shepherd. And both of these, you know, clearly they're not literal. <laughs> they're metaphors. And, you know, y'all in college, you should, you know, a metaphor is a figure of speech uh, that, that lets us in onto a, onto, a deeper, onto a deeper truth. And so they're metaphors that, that reveal and uncover to us something about who Jesus is. You know, one of the main questions that I think we're asking in our world, especially on a campus, is like, who do we say Jesus is? Is he a great teacher? Is he crazy? Is he a lunatic? Is he a pathological liar? Or is he something different? Maybe is he God? And so uh, when, when, when he says this, he says, I am the door, I am the shepherd. We're getting a metaphor, a metaphor that is telling us a little bit about who Jesus is and why it matters. And both of these met metaphors... Um, they're about Jesus who protects us. 
in our lives, in our faith. And so we're going to look at these metaphors and how Jesus as the door and as the shepherd protects us. So first, let's look at that first one. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. Look again at verse 7. He says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, you know, you can think about in an agrarian culture how this would come up. Like if, you know, we were to see this today, we'd be like, this is kind of random. But if, you know, this was written 2,000 years ago in an agrarian culture, you can imagine Jesus is walking with his followers and they're walking around in a town and they see, you know, everybody, sheep herding back then was one of the major industrial economic forces of the time. And so there was sheep everywhere. So you can see him walking by and they see a sheep in this maybe paddock or corral. And Jesus is like, you know what? There's truth there. There's something about that that you see that uh, reveals something about who I am. Uh, he said, you know, so he says, let me explain what I mean here. And so he says, I am the door of the, sh- of, I am the, door of the sheep. And then he says, all who came before me are thieves and ro- robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they have, may have life and have it abundantly. So what's interesting here is that Jesus is contrasting himself as the door with the thieves and the robbers. Do you see how he does that? He's saying, well, there's this door, but then in contrast with the door, there's this other group, these thieves and robbers who are coming in. So what does he mean when he's making this contrast and then he says that I am the door? Well, Jesus is saying here, he's saying, verse 9, I think, is the key. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and come out and find pasture. So I think what what he's saying here is that that Jesus, as the door, he protects us from the thieves and robbers, and he's the portal to life and meaning, and that is the pasture, the abundant life. So let's look at each of those, how he protects us from the thieves and the robbers. Now, you know, a major question that we would probably all have is, who are the thieves and the robbers? Like, what is that? And there's actually kind of some, some conversation or even disagreement among uh, people who have studied this text over 2,000 years about who exactly the, you know, these thieves and robbers are. Some people say it's the religious leaders of the day who are sort of pillaging the Israelites in a spiritual sense and leading them astray spiritually. Uh, some people could say that it's, a, that it's people throughout you know, the ethnic Jewish people's history who, uh, who've said, hey, if you follow us, you'll be safe, we'll protect you, and then they end up just abusing the people. Um, and then other people would say that it's actually a spiritual, uh, a spiritual metaphor to say these are dark spiritual forces that would seek to harm the people of God or the Israelites uh, spiritually. I, I, honestly, I don't know. I've done, I did a good bit of research on it, and there's, there's strong arguments to be made for all, but I think this is what we can know. Um, these thieves and robbers, <laughs> they don't have the sheep's best interest in mind. They don't have the sheep's best interest in mind. In fact, they have the sheep's worst interest in mind. Uh, and by that, we can tell us that verse 10, it says that the, sh- the robber comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And verse 10 is really interesting. There's actually a con- the contrast we feel really sharply between Jesus and the thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but you can almost start in there a but. But I have come that they, that is the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. So there's this contrast of power, right? The, the robber has power over the sheep, and he uses his power against the sheep, abusively. They're destructive to the sheep. 
So there's a destructive power against the sheep, but there's also a protective power for the sheep. So, and we all know that there's, we, we can all think of people in our lives who have used power against us and have hurt us. People who come in maybe with sweet words of comfort and maybe care, but ultimately finally leave us weak and vulnerable, exposed, even destroyed. Um, you know, I think of children, children who have been hurt or abused. I think of, you know, I talk with, stu- I talk with students all day, all week long. I know what's in y'all's stories of parents who have said cruel things to you and siblings who have said horrible things or done horrible things to you. Um, you know, th- these are the things of when people are hurting you, using power against you in a destructive way. The thief is the person who uses you, who, has, who gains power over you and then leaves you lifeless, destroys you. And Jesus contrasts himself with that and says, in contrast with that person, I am the door that brings you, that ushers you, what does it say, into pasture. I am the door that comes to, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus contrasts himself with the, door, with, with the, the robbers. He says, I have as a door, what does a door do? It, it creates a barrier that says the bad, destructive powers are not able to come in and there is safety behind this door. Think of a paddock, that when you let sheep into a paddock, they're supposed to be safe in there. They're supposed to be protected against powerful, wicked forces. He says, I am the door that is the protective power against the robber who climbs in another way. Jesus is the most powerful person in the whole universe. He has total power, and he uses his power not for his selfish gain, but to give life, abundant life. That word in Greek, it's like the fullest, most extravagant, the most extra life that the sheep could ever imagine. The, ima- the, the image of a sh- is of a sheep that has everything that it could possibly need. He says, that's what I've come. In contrast with the forces that come to seek and destroy you, I come to protect you and to bring you fulfillment, belonging, tender, joyful, abundant life. That's what Jesus says he does. Uh, And and that immediately makes me think of Psalm 23, that amazing passage where where, uh, the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides quiet waters, and still pastures. In verse 9, Jesus is saying that when we enter through him, that is, when we, when we use him, when we rely on him as the door, that we are saved and that we find this pasture that our hearts so desperately need, the protection that we long for, that Jesus is the access we need, not just a protection from wicked forces, but also the access to deep, fulfilling, abundant life. So that Jesus uses his power not to abuse or hurt us, but to bring us salvation, to bring us abundant life. And that anyone who enters by the door, which is Jesus, has legitimate access to all of his blessings, all of his goodness, all of his, his beauty. Uh, and that's, that's a beautiful thing for us, that Jesus is the source of fulfillment. But that's not where he... Um, that's, well, yeah, that's not where he leaves off. He gives us to uh, another, he says, but then he presses on with his metaphor. He says, in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So he says, I'm the door, but I'm also the shepherd. So look again at verses 11 through 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches it up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing about for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. So here's, here's another image that Jesus is using. It's the same kind of pastoral image of how Jesus protects us. And uh, he tells us in here, he says, okay, I'm a good shepherd. And let me tell you what is the distinguishing characteristic of a good shepherd. It's self-sacrifice. He says, I'm the good shepherd. How do you know that I'm a good shepherd? Because I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus defends us from wolves. He defends us from wolves. Now, again, we don't exactly know what wolves are entirely, but it could be humans, it could be spiritual forces, it could be whatever. But we know this. We know that there are evil things in our world that would seek to snatch and consume and destroy us. That's probably the one thing in this whole campus that no one needs to argue about. There are evil things that destroy human beings in our world. And we need protection from them. We need, we long for protection from those things. We know that just as wolves are the natural predators to sheep, that there are dangerous things, dangerous forces, dangerous governments, economic forces, families that harm each other and harm you. And we need protection. And unlike the hired hand who doesn't have a personal investment in the sheep, Jesus sticks around. He fights for his own. I think again of Psalm 23, which says, His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So back then, the shepherd had two primary tools. His rod was uh, basically like a club that he would use to beat off things that were attacking his sheep. David was uh, the, you know, the author of the Psalms, of Psalm 23. And, and uh, we, we know that David, when one of his... Uh, when one of his sheep gets attacked, he goes after a bear and a lion. He's willing to attack a bear and a lion to defend his sheep. And then a staff is the other, is the other tool of the shepherd. And with the staff, he directs the sheep. He cares for them. He, he guides them. So these are the tools that the shepherd uses to guide and protect us from the predators and, e and evils that would attack and kill me. And, and y'all, here's the thing. <laughs> This is a simple truth, but it's, it's good for our hearts. Jesus does that for us. Jesus does that for you. He protects and he guides you. And, and what's amazing is he doesn't do this impersonally or distantly. It's not like God is way up in heaven just being like, oh yeah, I'm going to just set this world in motion and, and it'll, just, it'll just work out well for, for, for my, my sheep. No, he does it tenderly and compassionately and caringly. Look at verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Back then, sheep, uh, would, uh, they, they knew the voice of their shepherd. So a shepherd could call and the sheep would say, oh, that's my master's voice. I know because he cares for me and he protects me. And so they come to him because he, they trust him. Because he cares for them specifically. They are his sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I care for my own. I care for those who trust and know me. I care for them personally, intimately. So this means that if you are a Christian, that Jesus knows you by name. 
Think about that. The God of the universe, the one who upholds all being, the one who is somehow mysteriously sustaining strong and weak force and keeping the sun on its axis, the one who is keeping all of biological life sustaining, the one who is somehow with some particle that's 200 billion light years away. If you are one of his sheep, knows you by name and personally, intimately protects you. That's what this is saying. When we say that Jesus protects us, we are saying, in theology, we say that Jesus is actually fulfilling his office as king. In, uh, in, in theology, we say that Christ has three roles as our, uh, as our redeemer, the office of prophet, of priest, and of king, and that he, uh, as our savior, he completes and fulfills each of those three roles. And uh, one of the old catechisms that was written in the 1600s describes what Jesus does as our king. He says, Jesus is our king He's a, he, he submits us to himself, he rules and defends us, and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. And that last line has kept me, has given me sleep on many a sleepless night. I have, I, I am a chronic worrier. <laughs> I wake, my daughter wakes me up at 3.30 in the morning, and once I'm awake, I start worrying. And one of the things that helps me fall back asleep again is that I have a king shepherd who restrains and conquers all my enemies. If that's true, then there's actually hope for you <laughs> in the midst of the forces that seek to oppress and destroy you. Now, that's the main point of this text, that Jesus protects us, that he protects us from things that would harm us. Now, this, of course, begs the question, let's be honest, we live in a world that hurts. We live in a world, I'll say, where it happens. We live in a world where some of you are very legitimately asking, okay, if Jesus protects me, then why did it happen? And you all have an it. You all have at least one, probably multiple things that you say, yeah, where was Jesus' protection when it happened? When somebody hurt me deeply as a child. When my boyfriend hit me. When my parents abused me. When I was depressed. When I ran out of money for tuition. Several months ago, I met with a student in RUF who was exploring Christianity, and they said, I want to be a Christian, but why doesn't God provide my tuition? Jonathan, you say God wants to give me this abundant life. Why isn't God providing money for my tuition? What gives? You say God protects me. What the heck? This doesn't feel like, if this is God's protection, then I want nothing to do with Christianity. <laughs> what gives? Where was Jesus protecting shepherd in that and friends that's a huge question and one that i don't fully understand one that i can't answer in a lecture or a sermon um, it, it takes us to some of our most tender and painful experiences of hurt and of abuse of aloneness of powerlessness and it's those moments where we feel like the robbers are stealing and killing destroying our very life force right um, so honestly, I don't always have a great answer for the it traumas in our lives, but I have two thoughts here. This is a conversation you can talk with me afterwards if you want, but two thoughts. One um, is, an, is an idea in, in, in Christian theology. I'll, just, I'll say it and then I'll explain it. It's this idea of the already and not yet of protection. The already and not yet of protection. So anytime there's a promise in Scripture, um, we talk about that promise as partially fulfilled. 
That that promise that God says, this is, I promise this towards you, it's partially fulfilled and it's partially not yet fulfilled. And we call this uh, the paradox of the already but not yet. And uh, so the way to illustrate this is, uh, have any of y'all read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom? Maybe a couple of y'all. So it's a book um, written by a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She's a Dutch woman. And so in World War II, um, her family was against the Nazis and they saw her, or they saw what the Nazis were doing to the Jews and they said, this is atrocious, we need to do something. And so they started, they kind of retrofitted their house and they built all these secret compartments into their house um, so that uh, they would then start hiding Jews so the secret police couldn't find them. And then they would smuggle them over time out of Holland and into safety. Uh, and so they had a, quite a successful operation. They were shuttling hundreds of people uh, out of Holland, Jews out of Holland. And, you know, so they would have, you know, up to dozens of people in their houses. And then they, at night when no one was around, they'd, they'd get them out of there. And um, eventually, this is called, you know, for multiple reasons, the book is called The Hiding Place. One of the reasons is because they were building hiding places. And eventually somebody betrays them. Somebody finds out what they're doing and turns them into the Gestapo to the German secret police. And so they get raided. And uh, when they raid the house, at the time there were six Jews who were hiding in the house. Uh, they were in a compartment behind a cupboard or something like that. And so what, it's really interesting what happens. Uh, the police take Corrie Ten Boom, they take her sister and they take her fa their father. And they ultimately uh, find them guilty of smuggling Jews and they send them all to concentration camps. And it's awful. And part, most of the book is Corey recounting, basically processing her trauma of being in Buchenwald, which was a German concentration camp for women, and her sister dying a horrible death, and her father dying a horrible death, and her, you know, being abused. So, like, <laughs> where was God protecting in that? <laughs> but the amazing thing is, at the same time, those six Jews that were in the house were never found, and they were smuggled to safely. And I think right there is an illustration of the already but not yet. Somehow God protected those Jews. The already of God's promise to protect them was realized. And the not yet of God's protection was also very present in that Corey was suffered three years in a concentration camp. Her sister froze to death, eaten by fleas, and her dad was beaten to death. That's the not yet of Jesus' protection. And that's the world that we live in in between Christ having come and Christ not having come again. We live in a world where Christ's protection is partially there and partially not there. Already but not yet of Jesus' shepherding protection, partially fulfilled, partially not. And that all of the Christian promises are partially here and partially we are waiting, longing, desperately waiting for that final moment where Jesus will restrain and conquer all of our enemies. So that's the first thought, that, that Christian or Jesus' protection is an already but not yet. Second thought is that the greatest protection has already happened. The greatest protection has already happened, and that is that Jesus protects us spiritually. Look again at the definition of a good shepherd. Look at verses 17 and 18. For this, reason I lay, uh, the, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own authority. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So when Jesus is talking about that, he's clearly talking about his death and his resurrection. 
That Jesus is saying, look, I'm telling you right now, I've told you before, that the reason I came to earth is to die and to come back to life, to conquer sin, to destroy all of the enemies that I have and that you have. Uh, He's letting us in on the little divine conspiracy of salvation that Jesus and the Father have been planning. And uh, so we see that Jesus is referring to the crucifixion. And then what's interesting here is that Jesus is saying that the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that his death and his resurrection are the ultimate protecting act that he could do. That Jesus' death and his resurrection are the ultimate protecting thing that he could ever do. So this is, this is a major point, that Jesus shows us his protection most clearly and most powerfully in his death and resurrection. That that is the down payment of his protecting promises. That that, that was the moment of his victorious protection over all of the forces that seek to destroy and steal and kill us. Uh, Paul Paul the Apostle, who's uh, another one of Jesus' followers, says it this way. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive with Jesus, who has forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the debt that stood against us. This debt he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then he talks about it in in terms of Christ's protection. He disarmed the rulers and authorities that would seek to destroy us and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So here's the thing, friends. The cross is proof of God's protection. The cross is proof of Jesus' protection. That is an actual documented historical fact. It's proof that Jesus is the good shepherd who protects you. So back to our original question. When bad things happen and, uh, and we say that Jesus is our protector, what gives? Well, first, um, we must confess that Jesus does pr- protect us from evil forces. Uh, sometimes we never even see it. Second, we have to admit that there's an already but not yet to that. And we do live in a world that hurts us. We have to admit that. And finally, we have to say that the cross is Jesus' final, ultimate protection. So that there are those moments where you are saying, where is Jesus protecting me? I would say, he already has. In the most clear, protective way he could in his death and resurrection. And that that is the down payment. That is the proof that he's not going to abandon you now. That the not yet will be fulfilled that he will finally deliver you from it. And friends, that has the power to get you through incredible pain. You can read this book, The Hiding Place. This is a woman who suffers through the worst pain that any human being can experience, the worst that the 20th century had to offer, a German concentration camp. And she clung. At the end, she says, Jesus is my hiding place. He's that shelter that I can cling to in the midst of the worst the Germans can throw at me. Why? Because she knew that Jesus was her protector. He was the good shepherd who protects her from the worst that any force can throw at her. So Jesus is our protector in that he is our door, that he protects us in bringing us into the abundant life, and he is our protector in that he is our good shepherd. So if this is true, how does it affect us? If this is true, I think two ways. One, trust. That when you trust in Jesus, he knows you and he becomes your shepherd. 
When we trust in Jesus, he is our shepherd. He protects you. And here's the thing. He has proven that on the cross. That no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. Just a few verses later, in John 10, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, it is greater, and he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Friends, if that's true, then you can have total trust in Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the Protector. Will you trust that protecting power when it happens? Even, the, even in the its of life, trust that protecting power. Second, hope. Hope. Look, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a world where it happens because it already happened. And it doesn't feel like God is protecting you when those grievous things happen But it's in those moments when we lean into the already and not yet. We lean into the already of the cross and we lean into the not yet of Jesus will come again, our final protector who will finally deliver us from all of it. From all of it. That is our hope. That is your hope as a Christian. That Jesus is not done with this story, but that he is driving history and driving his flock to the abundant life, to the eternal pastures of fulfillment of quiet waters of peace. That is your hope. So in the midst of it, whatever it is for you, you can have hope that Jesus is and does and will protect you. And friends, that will give you the courage to endure in the middle of it, in the midst of it. In those moments, lean into the cross because nothing else shows God's protective power in your life than Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life to defeat evil. The cross gives you hope in the midst of tears, in the midst of pain, in the midst of depression, that God has defended you. God is defending you and God will defend you. So in the it's hope in the final protection that Jesus is your protector. I'm going to read Psalm 23 because it just ties in so well. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, Thank you that you are not only a Lord in heaven, you are nothing less, but you are so much more, that you are our shepherd who protects us, who comes down into the muck and grime of our lives, of our brokenness, of our sadness, of all the it's that happen to us, and that you protect us, you have protected us, you will protect us. Lord, we do ask for your protection this week in all of our lives, from the things that would seek to kill and steal and destroy, that you would protect us. And until that day when you finally come, Lord, we do pray, come 
bring that already and not yet to completion when you will finally protect us. And until then, give us trust and hope. And until that day, we pray that you will be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.